Welcome to Pebbles of Light. I'm your host, Anne Maxson. Have you ever felt a bit lost during the dark times of life's challenges? I know I have. I'm so grateful for those friends, loved ones, and even strangers that have provided me a pebble of light in the form of understanding and support. They've blessed my life, sometimes even more than they know. Seeing a little bright spot on the path has helped me to move forward when things are difficult. This show is here to celebrate those who add light to our lives. We'll share some of their stories as well as ways in which to light the paths of others. Please come find me on Instagram and Facebook at Pebbles of Light, as well as at ammaxon.com. I love having the opportunity to interact with you and hear about those who've added a pebble of light to your path. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 26 of Pebbles of Light. I'm grateful you are here. Instead of doing any sort of ad spot this week, I want to ask a quick favor. Could you leave a radiant review for the podcast? On Apple Podcasts, you can do this by going to the main page for the podcast, scroll down to the bottom, and look for tap to rate and or write a review. Unfortunately, there aren't many other podcast apps that let you rate or leave reviews, but if whatever you're listening to has one, go ahead and rate and review. I'd love it. Thank you so much. Let's talk about the pebble from last week. For those of you that are new here, the pebble is a little call to action for each episode and a way to apply one of the themes and principles that we learn in that episode. The last episode was a mother-daughter interview with Deb and Cambry Austin. Remember Cambry's awesome example of overcoming obstacles and limitations as she's lived with cerebral palsy? The pebble was all about reframing what we may view as a failure. It was to consider a previous pursuit or goal when you did not achieve the expected outcome and write down some of the things that you learned through the effort that you put into that goal. For me, when I think about unfulfilled goals, I usually go back to thinking about my graduate school pursuits. I started not one, but two PhD programs in the years after college, and I didn't finish either one of them. However, through one experience, I was introduced to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, an introduction that changed the trajectory of my life, and tomorrow is actually the 20-year anniversary of the start of that change and a desire to learn more about that church. Through moving to New York for a different PhD program, I was put in a position that helped prepare me to serve a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Again, a life-changing experience. Remember to have faith in the effort to follow what you feel God is telling you to do. The outcome may not be what you expect, but it will be what God wants for you as long as you move forward, striving to do what you are inspired to do. If you want to hear more about my experience finding the church, I shared a lot of that in an interview that I actually did with this week's guest, Darla Trendler, on her podcast called the Spiritually Minded Women Podcast. The episode is titled How to Have Confidence to Be an Instrument for God as an Adult Convert, and it came out in June of 2021, and I'll link it in the show notes so you can find it easily. Like the last episode with Cambrian and Deb, today's episode will also talk about recognizing our divine potential and the divine potential of others. A few weeks ago, my family got to talking about the strength of the rising generation. With the idea of life before mortal life, we talked about how the youth of today have had so much time to prepare for this station. They've had a ton of time to watch others take this practical exam, for lack of a better term, called mortality. They've had the opportunity to study at the side of the master, to learn his ways, and understand his purposes. In this episode, Darla and I talk about recognizing divine potential, both our own as well as in others, and we discuss how to cultivate that potential in our kids and those within our sphere of influence. Darla has some absolutely wonderful insights to this, so let's just get right to it. I am so grateful to have Darla Trendler with me today. We have been looking forward to this interview for a few months, and I'm really excited for the chance to sit and and talk with her. Darla, I'd love for you to just kind of introduce yourself quick. Oh, well, thank you so much, Anne, for being here. I love what you're doing, and I'm so grateful to be here. So I'm Darla Trendler. I um, have lived in Arizona most of my life. I had a stint in Colorado and Utah, but I am an Arizonan through and through. I love the warm weather. I have four children and married to my husband, Tim, and we have two children that are out of the house and two that are in high school. So we have that looming, like empty nest in a few years coming, but I'm also a podcaster. I'm, I'm the host and the creator of the Spiritually Minded Women podcast. I've been doing that for three and a half years. And my goal with that podcast is just to help women know that, that Christ is there and that we all have our own unique journey and that he shows up in that journey to help us and to be beside us and walk with us. Like I said, we talked about a bunch of different topics. And one of the things that just kind of kept coming back, and it, it's related to her podcast and what she just talked about, is that idea of divine potential and divine identity. 
I actually want to start with a quote that I came across, and it's from the prophet and president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Russell M. Nelson, and it ties in with this. And then, Darla, I'll let you kind of talk about your experience with finding divine potential and divine identity in relation to this quote. He said, quote, We have been created for a purpose. Learn of your divine purpose and then live up to it. This will come to you as you seek for it. Ask your Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, how he feels about you and your mission here on earth. If you ask with real intent, over time the Spirit will whisper this life-changing truth to you. Record those impressions, review them often, and follow through with exactness. I promise that when you begin to catch even a glimpse of how your Heavenly Father sees you, and what he was counting on you to do for him, your life will never be the same. So in what ways have you been able to encapsulate that that idea of, of seeking out your divine identity and your divine potential? Well, I think I can look back, you know, my life as a child, as a teenager, and I can think about instances where I saw glimpses of it, but I don't know that I fully understood. But I think I always kind of knew like, there's a purpose for me to be here. I I kind of always knew that deep down inside. But I can pinpoint a moment in my life where I really understood what it meant to have a divine identity. And it happened for me, I I was served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, many years ago. And I was a brand new missionary, and we had a meeting. And our mission president, the he got up and he was talking so much about obedience. We've got to be obedient. We've got to follow the rules. We've got to do this because that's how the Lord's going to bless us. And I didn't really have a problem with that message because I think I was a naturally, I really wanted to be obedient and I really wanted to be on a mission. I, I had worked hard to be there and I was a little bit older than, you know, typically sister, I mean, not that much older, but like I had waited a whole year to get ready and I was almost 22 and, you know, and I really wanted to be there and that message did not bother me at all. But I remember after that meeting talking to another missionary and him saying to me, I am so, he'd been out on the mission a lot longer. And he's like, I am so tired of hearing about this obedience thing. He goes, I cannot be exactly obedient and just, and be myself. I just want to be myself. And he said that to me. And then, you know, the conversation moved on, but his words lingered for me. And I thought, what, what is he saying? Like, is it possible for me to be myself and be an, a good, you know, obedient missionary, someone who's trying to follow. I'm trying to follow. Ultimately, it's about following Christ. That's why I was there. And so in my personal study time, I started to dig in and I found a scripture that's in the Book of Mormon. And it says, the natural man is an enemy to God and has been forever and ever and will be unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit. And then the scripture goes on and says, to become like a little child. And it lists all these godly attributes, like being humble and submissive and meek and, you know, all these things. And I read that scripture and and the spirit spoke to me and said, you can be who you are and be obedient because this is who you are. You are not the natural man. That is not who you are. You came to this earth and you have these tendencies, but that's not who you are. You have a spirit that was created by loving heavenly parents and that's who you are. So I learned a really important lesson, you know, early on in my life at 22, that I could yield to the Holy Ghost and that that spirit could teach me what God, who God wanted me to be. And that that was really who I am. So I was really, I am really grateful for that experience because I have gone back and drawn on that experience. I have never forgotten it. I recorded it in my journal at that time. I've written about it since then. I've shared it with my own kids, with, you know, in church talks, like that was a pivotal moment in my life that I knew who I was. And I knew that it wasn't about just, I'm just going to be whoever I am. And, you know, that's all, that's all that really matters. But who I am is a daughter of God. And that's, that's what is most important. Yeah. And I think even aligning that idea with, okay, if I'm a daughter of God and I know that he loves me as any heavenly parent would, I know he wants the best for me. Do you know what I mean? So I'm going to do what he asked me to do. And, yeah. and then that helps with all the other things, right? Everything else falls into yeah. place after that. But sometimes we can kind of want to <laughs> to go our own way, right? To mm-hmm. to forge our own path. So how do you reconcile those those moments where you're like, I really want to go this direction, but 
I feel like I should go this other direction. Mindy Brown and I talked about the difference between sacrifice and investment and recognizing that difference of, okay, yes, I may be sacrificing going the path I want to go, but really what I'm really doing is investing in what I know the Savior knows I can become and the person he can lead me to be. Well, I, and having this experience early on in my life is, does not say that, you know, I've been perfect at it. Like there have been times where, no, I don't want to do that. Like, this is what I want to do. But I think that it has, it has come from experience and knowing that whenever I follow him, things work out and, and I am blessed and he knows more than I know. I recently read a book by Samuel Brown and I think it's called Where the Soul Hungers. And he talked about authenticity and how that is like a buzzword that we hear all the time. Like, I just want to be authentic. And, and I think that there's a place for that. Like, yes, we want to share who we really are and and be true to that. But what he was saying was, you know, sometimes we use that as kind of a crutch. Like he's like, I don't want to be my authentic self because my authentic self is selfish and, you know, I'm wrapped up in myself and, and I'm not very kind. And you think about that, like if you're living like the natural man, that's what you are. Is that really what you want to be is living in your authentic self. You know, I'm using that in quotes, like, and, and so I kind of just learned that that isn't who I want to be. I don't want to be that person that is selfish or um, self-centered. I want to, to be who God wants me to be. And, you know, I've kind of moved on from that point in my life and I've seen glimpses of him kind of showing me the way of, okay, here's something. And I've always just kind of had this thing that I've wanted to, wanted to seek for that. And, sought for personal revelation to know, you know, this is what I want to do. And there's been times when I have gone off that, like, you know, hard experiences that I've gone through. And I'm like, I'm just, I don't want to listen to you. Like, I just want to do my own thing and I want to be comfortable. And it's not always the most comfortable thing to follow him. But I think just with experience and time, I've learned that things work out better. He has a purpose and my purposes are not always his purposes. But when I follow that, I see great things happen. Yeah. So how do you help your kids kind of grasp this idea of divine potential and divine worth? I think I'm still exploring that. Like I don't have it all figured out. Like I said, at the beginning, I have two kids that are out of the house. They are 22 and 19. And then I have 17 and 14 at home still. And the 17 year old's about to leave too. So, but one of the things I can, I'm looking back and and I don't know that it was a conscious decision, but it was just something that sort of developed in our family culture and that is that we we really don't have anything in our family like, oh, we're an orchestra family. So everyone is going to play a stringed instrument and everybody's going to be in the orchestra. I've had kids be in the orchestra. I've had two be in the orchestra and two not. Or I haven't said everyone is going to take piano lessons. That was my hope. That was my goal. I started my kids out with music lessons when they were four years old. They all went through it. They all started out in piano lessons. And two stuck with it and two didn't. And, and the two that quit were, I was just like, I could just see that they didn't love it. It wasn't their thing. And that if I could take those resources that I was spending on piano lessons and put them somewhere else where they could really thrive and figure out what their own gifts and talents are, that that was okay. There was just no forcing, like, you know, we do this, like, you know, I just let my kids pick. For instance, my boys have both been wrestlers and my oldest boy came home one day from junior high in the seventh grade and just said, Hey, I joined the wrestling team. And I was thrilled. Like I love wrestling. I grew up with wrestling. My brother wrestled and, and I was like, great, that's awesome. But then his younger brother was like, I don't ever want to do that. Like I'm never wrestling. And I was like, okay, that's all right. This is your brother's thing. It doesn't have to be your thing, but then he changed his mind (laughs) and he has been a wrestler too. And that, and that's been really fun, but it's what they want to do. It was never something where, okay, we're a wrestling family. So you have to wrestle. Like it was never anything like that. So I think it's just been, you know, let your kids try a lot of things, let them explore. I I think there's a balance. Like when my kids have signed up for something and I paid money for something, I kind of want to make sure that they live up to that commitment. You know, if they have a commitment to a team or, and I don't just let them quit willy nilly, but you know, if we get done with the season and we realize, Oh, I don't really love that. Okay, great. What else do you want to try? You know, it's just always about letting them figure out that what interests them and what is going to bring out their, their potential and what's going to help them be able to do that. And as a result, I have kids that are interested in lots of different things and it's, (laughs) you know, it's been really great. It's blessed our family's life so much. 
And I feel like with the new children and youth program that our church uses now, that really feeds into that idea of goal setting and exploring things that interest you, but being okay. Okay. I've done this for a while. Now I want to explore something else. I feel like there's a lot there to help that idea of just nurturing those different things and seeing, okay, is is this going to grow? I don't think so. I'm going to try something different. Yeah. I think the children and youth program that where we're setting goals, I mean, I try to sit down with my kids. We just did it last Sunday. Like, okay, let's revisit where are we at? How, what are your goals? What are you doing? And, you know, it's not like I sit down with both of them and they have to set the same goals. It's very individual. Like, I think the, the purpose of that is that it's to help them see that, that God wants them to be who they are. And, and it's not like this checklist of here's a set list of goals that you have to set, which is how it used to be. Right. Mm -hmm. It's this, let me come up with something that is going to help me the very most. And it may not be the thing that helps my other child or the the kid down the street or whatever, but it's a very individual approach. And I really love that seeing them as an individual. It's really exciting to watch them develop that and, and, you know, find something that they really love and it can excel at and it builds their self-confidence and just so many great things. Yeah. You said checklists, which made me think of one of your token phrases of (laughs) focusing on checkpoints instead of checklists. Do you want to kind of explain that ideology a little bit? Well, on my podcast, I talk a lot about journeying on the covenant path. Like we have this path that we are on to lead us back to our heavenly parents. And there are checkpoints that we all have to make. We, we have to make covenants with God. We have to be baptized and we, ha- we have to receive our endowment and all the other things, the checkpoints. Those are the covenants that we make. But what happens to get us to those checkpoints or what happens in between the checkpoints or what happens you know, after we've made all the covenants and we're just journeying and we're enduring to the end? What happens for each of us is so individual. And I just was seeing so many people that I knew struggling to try to fit in and to try to, you know, there's this cookie cutter and I've got to fit into that and I don't fit. And so there's no place for me in this gospel. And I just want to say, yes, there is because it's individual. And the All we have to do is hit those checkpoints. And then we are just striving to have the savior beside us and to be close to him and to develop a relationship with him. And that, that is what binds us together is that we all have a savior. And if you think about how he dealt with people when he was here in his earth life, I mean, he dealt with people one-on-one. He dealt with them individually. He saw people as an individual and came to them and met their needs right where they were at. And he can do that for each of us. He's not here, you know, all the time, like physically living on this earth, but he's with us and he can do that for each of us. And so I think that also ties into a lot to personal revelation. That's another thing I like to talk about a lot. Like you can live by personal revelation and there's no checklist. There's no like, I mean, I used to believe this and this is kind of why this has been something I've chosen to really share a lot about is because when my husband and I started out, we just thought, Oh, we'll just do all the things. And then our kids are going to turn out great. (laughs) And they're going to go on and, you know, do the, do their thing and get married in the temple and go on missions. And that's all we have to do is this checklist, like just have family home evening, just go to church every week and have scripture study. And that's all you have to do. Like, just do it. But we started to see like when we started to get teenagers, like that doesn't work (laughs) because they're all individual and they all need different things. And you can't just say I'm doing these things and then everything's going to turn out right because you're dealing with people who have their own agency. I mean, you might be doing those things, but they have, your kids have agency and they can choose. So I just think that there's not a checklist on that covenant path. You don't have to check off all these things, but you can just be making those covenants and seeking Christ and looking for him to guide you seeking for that personal revelation to know, because he can reveal something to me and he could say, Darla, I want you to do this. And then he could say, Anne, I want you to do this. And it could be completely opposite. And it's both good. It's both right because we're individuals and he's going to, you know, give us that. I think that's why president Nelson has talked so much about personal revelation is we, we have to be able to know that to return back. It's not about just doing what everybody else is doing. You have to know individually. And, and that comes into play with knowing your purpose and knowing what that divine potential is, because it's different for each of us. So we have to rely on God to tell us that. Yeah. And I feel like that ties in with the children and youth program as well. I remember kind of when that first came out, it was what, two years ago now? So Mm -hmm, my youngest was 
seven and about to be eight. And they're supposed to utilize their own personal revelation to figure these things out and figure out their goal setting, obviously with guidance and help from parents. But I was like, well, the prophet just said that you should be able to get personal revelation. I, I should have faith in you being able to get personal revelation, whether that's for your goals or for other things. And so it's helped me as a parent to recognize, I guess, that divine potential really of these children, even starting at younger and younger ages of getting to learn how that communication, that personal revelation works in order to recognize what directions they should go and what they should be doing. What ways have you seen that with your kids where it's kind of helped them even at younger ages recognize not necessarily just their divine potential, but just their path in life in some ways? For me, it's been learning and I've learned the hard way through a lot of failure that I can't micromanage my kids. I have to let them have experiences and, you know, we've kind of shifted our parenting I and mean, there's a big difference. My older kids point it out to me all the time. <laughs> there is a big difference of how we're parenting now versus how we were parenting 10 years ago. That's because you know, we realize you can't micromanage them. You have to let them make decisions. Something I tell my husband all the time is, is this really important in the grand scheme of things? Like we want them to do this, but is it really going to make a huge difference? Like our son came home with a mullet and we were like, oh my gosh, this is so dumb. Like, why is he getting a mullet? Like, aren't you going on a mission in here in a year or so? And, and it was just like, who cares? Like a mullet, it doesn't matter. Like, let him make that choice. You know, th things that, it, and how they earn, earn their money and spend their money. We try to teach them principles and then let them make decisions and let them learn that, oh, I shouldn't have spent my money on that because next time they'll know. I think it's just letting kids make choices and not trying to take away their agency all the time. I think there was a point in our parenting where we were really just, we wanted them to turn out and it was a reflection of us. And so we were just trying to micromanage every decision that they made. And as a result, like our oldest spend a time where there was a time where she didn't even she was paralyzed by trying to make a decision because she didn't know how to do it. You know, we really had to go back and course correct. So I think it's just in the grand scheme of things, is this really going to really matter? Can they, can I let them make this decision? And if they fail, it's okay. That's how we learn and grow. I've had lots of conversations with my kids about repentance and I've tried to help them see me repenting and using Christ's atonement in my own life. And to know that Repentance is not a bad thing. It, it's a good thing. It is such a beautiful gift that we've been given. And it's just that we're having a fresh view about ourselves, about God, about our environment. And it's just turning back to Christ. That's that's all that it is. And that it's a beautiful thing and, and that we can do that. And there's no shame in that. That's the, the plan and the way that God has provided a way for us to keep journeying on that path and not get bogged down by all the mistakes that we make. I think trying to find a balance between delegation and accountability is tricky as a parent. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that we try to do is we try to help our kids recognize the divine delegation and accountability that we get in our lives, right? And so we have a little tradition, and it sounds fabulous when I talk about it, but it it really isn't as fabulous as it sounds. Well, the idea is the execution is not as great. So we have this little backpack metaphor. And so every night around bedtime, when we're doing our little bedtime routine with the boys, we talk about what their backpack is like. And so I'd originally heard about it from a timeout for women. Hillary Weeks had kind of mentioned something and then I just kind of took it and ran with it and added a few different things to it. So the idea is that you have a backpack that you carry around throughout the week. And you end up with rocks and dirt and different things, put it in the backpack. And then at the end of the week, when you're able to partake of the sacrament, you can imagine giving this backpack to the Savior and him cleaning it out very carefully and making sure everything is good before giving it back to you. So every day at the end of the day, we, we kind of say, hey, how's your backpack? Are there any rocks in there? And we talk about, okay, rocks can be things that you've done that may not be very good and may make you feel bad or things that other people have done to you or, or things like that. But then we also, we added stars. So you can have stars in your backpack, which are good and light and bright brightness, right? And so those are the good things that you've done that you want to let the savior know that you've done as well. And so it sounds really good, right? It sounds like I'm an amazing parent, but for the most part, the conversation is how's your backpack? Good. Okay. Like any rocks, any stars? Yeah, a few. Okay, and then we move on. But just trying to get that habit of even just thinking about it, thinking about things that way and thinking about, okay, I've been delegated this time today and 
this is what I did with that time. These are the good things. These are the bad things. And then to return and report right at the end of the day. So do you have any tips as far as like adding that, that delegation and accountability, finding that balance between those two things? I think what you're, I think what you're doing is really great. I think it's establishing a pattern and it may not look perfect and it doesn't ever have to look perfect, but you're establishing a pattern. And I guarantee your boys are going to be 16, 17, and they're going to go, remember when mom and dad used to always talk about the backpack? <laughs> you know, and they're, they're going to make that connection. They're going to share it in another class. I don't know that I have anything you know, really specific about that, but just, I, I think it's just, just like letting them be who they are, you know, who letting them live in the gifts that God created them in and, and recognizing that and knowing that even from kid to kid, they might be different. I think that's great to, to just have that pattern established that you're looking for a backpack. I think teaching about the sacrament is so important and letting them know that that's part of the covenant path. Like that's where we go and renew those covenants. And it's a great time for us to bring in that repentance and I think that metaphor is so good. Even if it's not implemented perfectly, it's still (laughs) going to make an impact and make a difference. I love it. I have another quote talking about just the amazingness of this generation of kids. And so as we look at our kids and we can see that they have so much more talent and capacity to do good than, than my generation. This quote is Elder Richard G. Scott, and he said, Truly, as obedience and morality decline in the world, the Lord is sending more exceptional spirits to earth. As a body, they excel the average capacity of their forebears. Their potential for personal growth and positive contribution is enormous. As parents and leaders, how are you cultivating that potential? What do you think? How can we cultivate that potential? Well, I th- oh, gosh, I love that quote because I see it all the time. I work with young women in my state, my own kids and my kids' friends. They're remarkable. They can do so much good. And sometimes it's just a matter of us getting out of the way. Going back to what I said before, like not trying to micromanage everything. They know what they need and letting them lead out. Like in a church setting, letting a class presidency or a quorum presidency lead. And because they know what each other needs, like this is a really dumb example, <laughs> but I'll just, I'll just share this happened to me in my calling. We brought together a state council to plan a standards night and the planning was going really well. And they were really coming up with great ideas and they knew what they needed. And we said, Hey, we're going to have refreshments. What do you guys want to have? And, you know, we were thinking they were going to say cookies or donuts. They were like, we want Costco pizza. And we were like, okay, all right, we can do that. You know? And we kind of like, work trying to work within the budget. And we're like, yeah, I think we can work within the budget. All right. So they assigned a leader to go and check on Costco pizza and report back at the next meeting. The leader comes back and says, well, Costco doesn't think they can make enough pizzas to feed everybody at one time. So could we go to Papa John's or could we go to Little Caesars or, and they're like, oh, we can't have Costco pizza. Never mind. Like, we don't want that. We'll have donuts then. And we were like, really? Like Costco pizza? And all the kids, there was like 15 <laughs> kids in the room, like, oh yeah, it has to be Costco. Anyway, it turned out that we were able to get Costco pizza and every kid in the state loved it. They sat around in the gym and after the standards night and ate Costco pizza and just loved it. And so what I took from that was like, we would never have known that Costco pizza was so important to them. Like that was the the thing that they wanted. It, yeah. it wasn't just pizza. It was Costco pizza. If we hadn't taken the time to ask them, we would never have learned that. And I know that's just a dumb example, but they knew that that's what their peers would want too. Like we have to trust them and let them lead out. And we had another standards night this year and guess what we had Costco (laughs) pizza because the new youth council came in and said, yeah, we had that last time. That was great. We want that again. And we were like, okay, you guys like Costco pizza. That's like a dumb example, but I've seen that happen in young women's classes when a young woman makes a comment and she says exactly, you can see it on the face of her peer sitting next to her. Like, Oh, she understands. They're the ones living in the trenches, going to school and facing all of these hard things. And I think sometimes we just need to get out of their way and let them know that they're capable and we trust them. Obviously they need guidance. They don't know everything. It's not like we can just turn everything over to them. They need some guidance, but just giving them that trust. And like I said about with my own kids, like letting them make decisions, letting them fail in a church setting, you put the young women is in charge of the activity and they forget to bring half the stuff. And it's a kind of a disaster well, great. It's an opportunity to come back and say, Hey, what did we do well with this? What didn't go so well? What can we do different next time? And they will learn. And I guarantee that person will not forget again. That young woman or young man will know. 
I just love teenagers. I just think they are so spectacular. I think that they are so capable. And sometimes it's just us getting out of the way and not, you know, like feeling like, oh, I'm their mom and I know everything, or I'm their young women's leader and and I have this calling and I've got to fulfill this calling. Well, your calling is to step back and let them lead out. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what you can do for them. How do you find balance in the expectations? So saying in this family, we serve missions and, you know, how do you find balance in that and not overstepping really? You know what I mean? How do you keep that expectation there, but not shove it down their throat? I'm smiling because I'm thinking of my big fat Greek wedding where the mom mom is talking about how her husband may be the head of the household, but she's the neck. Like how do we act as the neck of our teenagers or our children Mm -hmm. in order to point them in the right direction, but not have them realize what we're doing. That sounds sneaky, but that's not what I mean. No, I know what you're saying. I will say that in our family, we have very high expectations of our children. Like for instance, academically, we have expected a lot of our children, but it's because they have demonstrated that they can have those expectations. You know, if I had a child that had a learning disability, I might not have those same expectations, but that is not the case. And each of my children have demonstrated younger in your younger years that they're very capable academically. So we have set high expectations with that. I think it's okay to to talk about when you go on a mission or as they get closer to that, you can talk to them about how they're feeling. And, you know, we're going through that right now with a 17 year old talking about a, a mission. I think the key is, I think it is okay to have high expectations as long as there is high love as long as they know that you love them. So if you have these really high expectations, but no love for them, that's going to be a problem. Or if you have all the love for them, but no expectations, that's a problem. I saw it written out as a quadrant. With, yeah. I'm thinking have the you same seen thing. that? Yeah. I, I, we had a, we had a lesson about that at state council. Someone in our state presidency had received some training and we've talked about it in our ward now. And I love that. Even my son who's serving a mission right now, he, talked a couple of weeks ago, but they had had a lesson about that in a zone conference. He even said to us, he's like, I feel like you guys had really high expectations of me, but you also had a lot of love. And I think kids crave that. They want something to shoot for. And you just got to balance that with love. Like, it's not like this expectation is the end all be all. And you know, that's all that matters. Well, what matters is the relationship and the love that comes with it. But when you couple those things together, I think that's a great way to help your kids reach their potential is expectations with high love. Yeah. And giving them those opportunities to, like you'd said, lead out, but even little things. Like I was just thinking this morning on Sunday, we needed to make more syrup. So during COVID, we were like all shut down and we couldn't go to the store to buy syrup. So we looked up a recipe to make syrup. And then we're like, we kind of like the syrup better. Mm -hmm. And so we're out of syrup. And so I told my 11-year-old, I was like, hey, can you be in charge of making the syrup? Here's the recipe. And he just kind of took charge and he did it all. And you can see the confidence build, you know, like he just stands a little taller and everything. And he was in charge of making the syrup. And then today they'd had syrup on breakfast. I was like, Hey, I was like, that syrup looks even better than when dad made it. Cause it really did look better. Again, you saw like that little confidence boost in him of I made the syrup, like just something yeah. so little, but to have that expectation, but also the love and then the recognition for the effort that they've put into fulfilling that expectation. I yeah. think it's really helpful. Yeah. I just did an interview last week with a family where the daughter has hemiplegic cerebral palsy and has struggled. She was a cross-country runner. So we had lots of great conversations about cross-country and the amount of effort she has to put into running a cross-country race compared to her sister, who's actually, she came in second at state. So Mm -hmm. measuring that for each child, right? Looking at at the effort. And I remember my parents telling me this. I think I've already told my kids this. Like, if you are putting forth the best effort that you have and you get a C, I'm going to be cheering for you. If you're not putting forth your best effort and you get an A, I might be on your case a little bit. It's all about the effort. It's not necessarily about what the the report card or the outcome or whatever it is. It's important to help our kids recognize that importance of effort. If we help them grasp that potential, then they'll grasp the idea of effort in order to reach that potential. Along those same lines, I think it's just teaching them to try to like, just do your best. And if this is your best, I'm never going to be disappointed. 
I am not going to be disappointed. And, you know, even though we have this high expectation that you're going to get an A or that you're going to do well on this test. Well, if you didn't, that's okay. Like, let's see where, where we're at. And, you know, did you try your best? Do we need to bring in a tutor? Do we need to do something different? And I think that's where the love comes in. But yeah, just, it's just trying and living up to their potential, right? Like that's what we're talking about. We just know what your potential is and are you living up to that? So you have two who've kind of left right now. Mm -hmm. I've got one more quote and this one is Elder Holland from a talk called A Prayer for the Children. And he said, brothers and sisters, our children take their flight into the future with our thrust and with our aim. And even as we anxiously watch that arrow in flight and know all the evils that can deflect its course after it's left our hand, Nevertheless, we take courage in remembering that the most important mortal factor in determining that arrow's destination will be the stability, strength, and unwavering certainty of the holder of the bow. As you've had to do that, where you, you send that arrow off, in what ways have you been able to, to focus on that recognizing the strength and unwavering certainty and stability of your job being the holder of the bow? How have you been able to say, okay, I've done everything I can and now they're off and I'm just going to hope for the best. Yeah, it's a whole new ball game. <laughs> you have young adult children that are not living in your home and you know your, your time to like really give that guidance is sort of over and now you're just trusting the things that you taught them and knowing that you could never have taught them everything and they're just going to have to have their own experiences. But I think for me, what I've learned recently is how to trust God and to know that that he's got them, like that he knows where they're at, even if I don't know where they're at and can't see everything. So our, our oldest daughter was serving as a missionary during COVID, locked down in a pandemic and really struggling with her mental health. And I pled with God every day in my prayers, like, please take care of her. Please watch over her. Please, you know, help her, help her. You know, I'm just pleading with him. And one day I got up from a prayer and I just felt this feeling like I know where she's at. I've got her. Like, you don't have to worry about that. Let me worry about it. Like, just turn it over to me, which is a common theme in my life. You know, I like to have control and I like to take things back, but I did. I was able to just turn it over to him and let him work it out. And then I started to see, like, things didn't get instantly better for her, but I started to see a path that he had led her down and it was a path that was going to be for her good and didn't mean that he was eliminating all the obstacles or taking away the hard things, but that it was going to be for her good. And so I could just step back and not have that role of trying to micromanage everything, you know, trying to be in control and let him guide her and let her have the experiences that she needed. So I think being that person that can be there and be unwavering and have that certainty comes from having the gift of the Holy ghost with you and knowing that you can receive personal revelation from God to know how to handle that situation. And for me, it was to step back and just stand there and watch God do the things that he needs to do in her life. And that was okay. I didn't have to be the one, you know, doing all the guiding. He would be there. And I think sometimes it's hard to let go of that, right? Like not only did yes. you not have to be the one, but you didn't get to be the no, one. No, I wasn't physically there. I didn't know, you know, I could talk to her once a week. I didn't know what was going on, you know, week to week. So it, it, it really forced me to learn that lesson. But, you know, now I've got another one on a mission and I don't worry nearly as much. <laughs> <laughs> I just let him have his experiences. So it's just all a process and learning and growing. But it is really different when they leave your home to let go of that. And you can't say anything a lot of the times, or you have to say, could I offer some advice and let them choose? And <laughs> that's a lot harder, but it's good for them to have that experience. Like we've always encouraged our kids and help them have a path that when they graduate from high school and they're going to go to college, that they go away, they go somewhere else and live. And we've luckily had the resources to help them with that because we just value so much that they need to have those experiences on their own and that they really won't get them as much if they're living under our roof. Like they need to be on their own. There's a, I don't have the quote. I, I'm usually so good with quotes. I don't have this one. It's from an old podcast called Mormon Conversations, 
or something like that from the Mormon channel. I listened to every one of those. I, I know that podcast. Those. That was so, when I first got into like listening to podcasts. I yeah, think they, they called it a podcast, but yes. Yeah, it, I, I don't think it was considered a podcast officially. There's so many that I still remember, like little nuggets. But Same. there was one, it was Julie B. Beck and her two daughters. Mm-hmm. And that one is, just, it's one of my favorite ones. And she had talked about wanting to raise her children in a way that they would be her friends as they got older. And I feel like as you let go of that arrow, right, that's kind of where there's a little bit more of a shift in that relationship to a little bit more of a friend level. I mean, still always the parent and always there to help and a safety net and things like that. But to change the dynamic of that relationship to more of a friend. And how has that been for you as your kids have gone off to shift that relationship to more of a friendship? Well, it has enriched my life so much because my kids have some really interesting things that they think about and that they can share with me and teach me. I think that it is so amazing to learn something from your kids. And I think it can start very young. I mean, you can learn from your kids all the time, but I'm, I am just someone that I really value conversations about important things, like deep things. Like I, the surface conversations are hard for me. You know, the chit chat, the mindless chit chats. I know there's a place for it, but it's really hard for me. I want to get to the heart. I want to know like, what are you really thinking? And my kids know that. And I think they feel comfortable, especially my son that's currently serving a mission. He feels really comfortable sharing those things with me, you know, to tell me an insight that he got from a conference talk or from a scripture or just an experience in, in his life. And that is so enriching to me. Like I learned so much from that and it helps me to learn and grow. So I think it's a huge blessing. It's hard, but there's great rewards in letting that go and in you get to hear the things that they're learning and they help you to see something that you hadn't seen in that way because they're having different experiences than you had. And I, I think that has been a huge reward and a huge blessing to me to to be able to hear those insights from my kids and, and hear about things that I have not thought in quite that way. Yeah, my 11-year-old, he just he has such great insights about different things and he knows it. He'll be like, mom, you should come talk to me about these things. He really kind of steps into that role of being my sounding board about whatever it is. He really does provide a lot of insight and he motivates me. Like there's different, I think there was even a podcast episode that I'd done where I hadn't done it yet. And he told me, he's like, mom, you need to, you need to do that on the podcast. You need to share that story. So it's really inspiring how we can be inspired by our kids and by the things that they do. Speaking of kind of the individuality of our kids and the different things, we were talking a little bit beforehand about posts that Brooke Romney had shared on Instagram yesterday about square pegs. And when you have kids who just kind of don't fit what you would expect and how to to balance that, what has been your experience with, with square pegs? Well, I definitely have one square peg. <laughs> I mean, maybe more like not, not like my kids. In one way or another, right? Yeah, I mean, everybody I think has a, it's something, some kind of attribute or something that they struggle with that makes them feel like they don't fit in. But my second child, my son, who I've mentioned before, he's currently serving a mission. He was just this kid that he never fit in from seventh grade on. He just struggled to have friends and he had friends in, in elementary school. And then they got to junior high and all of these friends just dropped him like And I could not understand why. And he went through some bullying. And then I kept thinking, well, if he just gets through junior high, then high school is going to be better because high school is great. And I thought he'll find his niche. He'll find He'll find his way. And he ate lunch by himself every day for his freshman year. And it just broke my heart. And I kept thinking, okay, well, next year's a new year. And, you know, he was involved in things. He did auto shop and he was a wrestler. He was on teams and he did extracurricular things, but it just wasn't like he ever had this friend group that he could go hang out with on Friday night. Or, I mean, he really literally had no friends and I just worried so much. I thought, how is he ever going to go out into the world to do well and be able to talk to a boss or anyway, it, it was just all these things. And I just worried and worried and worried. And finally his senior year, he graduated in 2020. So right before the pandemic hit, my husband and I, that kind of when he started that senior year in 2019, we just kind of started saying, you know what, we're just going to embrace this. He's home on Friday night. So let's have him come to dinner with us. We're going Mm -hmm. out to get tacos. Let's just invite him. And we started inviting him on our date nights and we started just embracing, okay, it's fine. He doesn't want to go to the dance. It's fine. It's not a big deal. That's just who he is. And 
once we started doing that, he started like coming into his own and feeling like maybe he could fit in somewhere. And he was like, maybe I'll ask a girl to the prom and, you know, I'm going to graduate. And he was applying to college and all this stuff. And then the pandemic hit and all that went out the window. Like he wasn't able to do anything. And, but then he went away to college and he turned 18 in December and then he graduated in May and then he went to college in August. And it was kind of like when he turned 18, like this switch flipped And I started to realize he was really never meant to be a teenager. I mean, he had to go through that period of his life, but he wasn't very good at it. And he didn't know how to navigate it. And it just wasn't who he was. And I always kind of called him my old soul. Like from the time he was like three or four years old, he was always saying these really profound things. And he thought really deeply about things. He was very spiritual, had so many good qualities, but he just didn't fit in with his peers. But once he became an adult, I started to see all of these other qualities that he had made him a really good adult. Like Mm -hmm. he had a lot of the qualities that he needed and the the gifts and the talents that he needed to be very successful as an adult. So he went away from home and it was still the pandemic. School didn't look like how exactly how we thought it would, but he lived in the dorms. He had roommates. He learned how to navigate some of those relationships. He asked girls out and got rejected. And he had some of those kind of experiences too. It wasn't like it was this perfect thing, but He made some really good friends and developed some really good relationships. And he loved that first year of college. He thrived. He loved the academics. And I realized, you know, maybe he was like never really challenged in high school and just didn't have enough to keep him intellectually stimulated. And then college was so much more. And he still had struggles in his classes and all this stuff. But all of it came together to to help me to see like he wasn't really fit to be a teenager. And that's okay. He didn't have a typical high school experience. And that is okay. That does not define the rest of his life. And, you know, then I've got his brother who's 17, who is the epitome of what you think of someone having a high school experience, going to all the dances, all the friends, having all the fun, you know, just got crowned the homecoming king. I mean, that is so opposite of what this (laughs) other son was going through. And he's not as much of a square peg, but both are, both are valid and just not putting so much emphasis. I think adolescence, especially like not putting so much emphasis on having to have this typical experience. Like even my son who, who has gone out and done all these things in high school, that's not going to define his life either. That's not the pinnacle of life. There is life after high school and (laughs) they're both going to be adults for a lot longer than they were teenagers. And so just recognizing that they can get through that and they'll have the experiences they, they need. And I've never shared this before, but I had a seminary teacher that I had my son, my oldest son was, she was his seminary teacher. And I saw her one day at the seminary and she was telling me how he was interacting with some kids in the class and they were planning a group date. And I kind of just told her, I said, he's really struggled to make friends. And I just don't know. He's such a great kid. And I just don't understand. And she said to me, sometimes Heavenly Father does that to protect people and get them through adolescence in a way that's a protection for them. I had never thought of that before. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, okay, maybe that's what it was. I don't know. But all I know is that he got through it and he is a spectacular kid. He is thriving as a missionary. He thrived in college. And I have every confidence that he will come home from his mission, continue, build a career, you know, hopefully do all the things that he is meant to do and live in his purpose. And those experiences helped to shape him. And who knows what God's purposes were for him to have those experiences. But that's how it worked out. And it's okay. It goes back to what I talked about before. We're all going to make these covenants and that's something we all need to do. But what happens in between on that journey is so different for each of us. And I have this example right in my home, like two kids that are just completely opposite, having completely different experiences, but they're having the experiences that they need individually. Thinking about it from the perspective of we have a heavenly father who loves us and Mm -hmm. he wants the best for us. And he knows the path to get us there like we've talked about over and over again, it's going to be a very individualized path. And so as parents, if we try to align our will with our Heavenly Father's will, and especially in regards to His children, and He'll answer those prayers in knowing how to help those kids and support them. Yeah. And one other thought I just had about that is like, it's not comparing. It's letting go of the comparison. That's how you can embrace their individual path. You know, if I try to compare one son's experience to the other son's experience and I try to say this is a good experience and this is a bad experience, that's not going to get me anywhere. That is not helpful. But it's just saying they're they're having a different experience and it's okay because it's unique for them and God is carving a path that is for them. It's exactly what they need. Yeah, every once in a while you just wish you could see the reasoning. 
the Deseret Bookshelf quote of the day is about patriarchal blessings. And we've, we've talked personally about patriarchal blessings a little bit, but it said, your patriarchal blessing is like the picture on the puzzle box. It helps you keep the end in mind and focus on what matters most. So to just remember that our Heavenly Father has that, he's, he's got the puzzle, right? He knows how all the pieces go together. And so if we strive to allow him to, to do that and focus on, I feel like as parents, we get little snapshots. We can kind of get a little glimpse of what Heavenly Father has in store for them and who they have the potential to become. And then the importance of sharing that with them, right? Sharing our understanding of God's potential for them and what He knows they can be. Because sometimes they may struggle a bit to recognize that they, they have potential. Mm-hmm. I mean, teenager years are are rough and you may not think anybody may think anything good of you some days but to help them to recognize that i think if you look at that from a different perspective i really try hard when i see a teenager that is not my own teenager or youth to try to point out things to them or to their parents that they have done that are good or that i see something that is a gift inside of them I just had that experience on Sunday where I had met a girl that goes to my son's high school and I had met her at a football game and there was like something about her. I'm like, this girl is really cool. She's got it together and she was going after stuff. And I just was really impressed with her. I didn't know her name. I didn't know who she was. And I asked my son later and, and he said, oh, it's this girl. And I'm like, oh, she lives in my state. I, I know her name, but I didn't know her face. And I was able to run into her mom at church and just say, oh, I met your daughter the other night. And I think she is just remarkable. I think she is so spectacular. And here's what I've noticed in her. And I just think she is going to do great things. And that was very intentional because I want that girl to know, you know, and if I have the opportunity, I will tell her personally that, but, you know, I was able to tell her mom that I think as a parent, it's really good to hear from other people because you see the dirty socks on the floor and the ding dong mm-hmm. things that they're doing and other people get a different perspective. And it's nice to hear that. So if you notice something in a teenager or a youth or a child that, Hey, they're doing something really good, or they have a gift and they're really living in that gift, share that with them, tell them, you know, my, my son that I mentioned before that, you know, struggled in high school. Well, he had this amazing physics teacher. He had him for two years and we kept telling our son, you really need to go to college. And he was like, I'm just going to be a car mechanic. That's all I want to do. And, and we really wanted him to go to college because we could see his potential. He's very smart. He, and he just like, "Ah, I don't, I don't know. But then this teacher, we call him Mr. A, he has a really hard last name and everyone just calls him Mr. A. (laughs) Mr. A comes in and tells Curtis, Hey, you know, you really ought to go to college and you have a real mind to be an engineer and you should go build cars. You could fix cars on the side, but you should go learn how to build cars. And my son was like, really? And like (laughs) when somebody else told him, we were telling him the exact same thing, but when someone else came in and told him, Hey, you could do this and believed in him. That made all the difference. Like that teacher, we've become pretty good friends with him because all of our kids have had him and we see him at things. And we always tell him, we're so grateful for you. Like you changed his life. And I think that we could all potentially we do something really small that doesn't mean, you know, doesn't, we don't think is a very big deal. We can have a huge impact on another, on someone else's life by just pointing those things out. And, you know, because parents are trying to do it all the time and sometimes they just are not getting through and, and kids are not listening to their parents, but they'll listen to someone else come in and tell them that. I, I just wrote that down because I think we know our pebble for this episode. Of, <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah, I didn't think about that's that. Perfect. But yes, oh, for sure. Yeah, I've I've had the same thing. So I played tennis and I remember my mom would, you know, tell she, she was a good coach. She would do both, right? Like she'd tell me what I was doing good and tell me things I was not doing quite as well. And I was just like, oh, you just say that because you're my mom. Like the good stuff, like you just mm-hmm. brush it off, right? I remember one time I was I was just playing with a friend somewhere and and this guy walked up and he's like you have a really amazing forehand and I was like I do like my mom been saying the same thing over and over and I didn't pay any attention but then some random stranger who I don't even know tells me and then you really kind of take it to heart because totally, because yeah. I, I wonder if that's because they're not in your mind you're not like well they're not trying to to get anything in response you know what I mean like my mom yeah. might be saying that's all practice harder or whatever right. Right. But once a stranger, it's different. Darlie, do you have any other kind of closing thoughts you want to share? 
just recognize their individual uniqueness. Let them have that path that they need to have and point out their gifts and talents whenever you can get somebody else to do that. You don't even have to get it them to do it, but you know, let someone else come in and be that for them as well. And just show them that they truly have a mission. They really have a unique purpose that is just for them and help them develop that relationship with their heavenly parents so that they can be in tune and know as they go throughout their life. I don't think it's this one-time thing that we just know what we're supposed to do, but we build on experiences as we go and just help them have that relationship with them and, and they'll figure it out. To just love them, right? That, that love, love and them. expectations. Like, yeah, you, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Love is, I mean, so many times I've prayed, what do I do about this situation with this child? And the answer <laughs> nine times out of 10 is just love them, love them more, you know, just be there for them. That's a big yeah. answer that I've gotten. Hmm. Where can people find out more about you and about your podcast? Everything is Spiritually Minded Women. So that is my handle on Instagram. That's where I like to hang out. And I, my uh, website is also spirituallymindedwomen.com. And that is the name of my podcast. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can look that up. It's one of my favorites. There's just great insights and wonderful interviews with people from all sorts of different perspectives and things. It's a fantastic podcast. So I think you know the final question is always that the purpose of the podcast is to celebrate those relationships that have helped strengthen our path and in turn help us to light the paths of others. So can you share about one or two people who have placed a pebble of light in your path? Yes, I thought a lot about this. I mean, there's lots of people, but I think the two people that always come to the top for me are a senior couple that I knew when I was a missionary. So remember we started out and I talked about that story of how I really was it was like that first awakening for me that I have a purpose and there's something divine about me and that I can live in that. And that's who I am. And so as that was kind of coming to my mind and I was learning those lessons, I met the senior couple on my mission and he was the first counselor in the mission presidency. So we called him president and sister Thompson. He wasn't my mission president, but they kind of helped run half of the mission because geographically it was easier to have someone there kind of running that half of the mission. And I happened to be serving there and I served around them for many months and had lots of interactions with them. And I had never been around people who just genuinely could just see my potential and just encouraged me. And they changed my life. They changed the trajectory of my life. When I was on my mission, they were the ones that said, I had never really thought that I was smart enough to get a four-year college degree. I went to community college out of high school, then I went on a mission, and I never thought I was smart enough. And they were like, you should apply to BYU, and you would get in. And I would talk to them about what I wanted to major in, and they were the ones that encouraged me. In fact, President Thompson wrote my recommendation when I did apply to BYU, and I got in, and I have a college degree. And I really owe so much of that to them. They were so full of light, and they had a way of spreading that light and helping me to feel like I had light in me too, and that I have potential. So that was, that was who I thought of President and sister Thompson. They were amazing um, role models and just guided me so much. And I've thought about them for 25 years since that they helped me so much. Do you think they know the impact they had? I think that they do. President Thompson has passed away and I interact with Sister Thompson every Christmas. I write her a letter and she writes me a letter and I have told them how much they mean to me. I was really sad when President Thompson died and he died kind of, he was, I mean, they're older, you know, like it wasn't like unexpected, but he died kind of suddenly. I wish that maybe I had had talked to him more, but I sometimes think maybe he's up there watching out over me and that he is still someone who is seeking for me to share my light and to, and he's helping me with that. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. This was great. I just love what you're doing, Anne. I think it's remarkable, and I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. I love Darla's insights, and I'm so grateful for her taking time to share them with us. Be sure to check out her podcast, Spiritually Minded Women, for other great pebbles of light from her. I was talking to my friend Becky about this topic as well, and she shared a couple of really great thoughts. She said, sometimes parents think they need to change kids. We need to help guide them, but not change them they'll change us. They've come after us for a reason. Once they know who they are, they really gain the superhuman strength to help them overcome, and they reach out to bring others with them. I liken it to the fact that they are like immortal beings here for a season to learn. We get the priceless privilege of being given the gift of being their earthly parents, guides, companions, and forever friends.
I love those thoughts from Becky. You can probably already know what this week's pebble is. It's to share an encouraging, sincere compliment with a teen or anyone that you know. Do your best to brighten someone else's day with the power of your words. Be sure to check the full show notes for references, including links to Darla's podcast and the quotes that we shared. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, it's been exactly 20 years since I learned about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You can say that it was an Olympic change in my life that was brought about by the Salt Lake Olympics in 2002. The next episode will feature an interview with two of the people who played a major role in me being introduced to the church, and I'm so excited to share it with you. And in the meantime, I hope you enjoy the Olympics. Keep looking for the bright spots on your path, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in today. More than what has been said, I hope that you've been able to listen to your thoughts and feelings. Maybe you've thought of someone who's brought light to your path. Let them know of your gratitude. Maybe you've been inspired as to how to add some light to your own path or the path of another. Do your best to act on those feelings and impressions. I would love to learn more about you and your experiences. Please come find me on Instagram and Facebook at Pebbles of Light. If you like what you hear, please review so we can spread this light further. You can find show notes and more resources at ammaxon.com. Until next time.